you are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. I am in addiction recovery, and I am celebrating the 4th of July today. It is 11 p.m. on a Tuesday night. I have seen multiple fireworks displays over the weekend, one in Indiana and one out here in Providence, Alabama, not far away from where I live. And then uh, my neighbors decided to shoot off a bunch of fireworks as well. Uh, Probably drank a little too much alcohol for what they were doing, and uh, they kept... Uh, having the things tip over and shoot all over other neighbors' yards. And uh, one time that came pretty close to my car. And I remember with the neighbor I was watching all of this happen with, making a joke about how I don't want to be the old fuddy-duddy who goes over and tells the young whippersnappers to stop screwing with fireworks because they're acting like a-holes. But at the same time, I want to be that person. <laughs> and it was just very interesting remembering back to the summer of 96 when I was a manager for a fireworks store. I should not have been made manager. I was not a good manager of this fireworks store, but I absolutely was taking advantage of having a whimsically amount of fireworks at my disposal. And I was certainly the epitome of what I witnessed tonight. I was 10 times worse. And it's very interesting to look back at versions of myself from my past playing out in front of me now in my current state of being six and a half years in sobriety and and recovery and just living my life this way. Uh, Even more so because like many of us who have addiction um, histories and are, you know, within this world of sobriety and recovery, that we have addiction in our families, that it is something that is not just us, there's other people as well. And so I'm currently working through a situation where someone in my extended family is going through their own version of uh, their addiction issues. And it's very interesting being in my position and wanting to help, but not knowing how to. And let me explain what I mean by not knowing how to, because certainly I've got hundreds, if not thousands of different little Jesseisms that I have created within my own sobriety and recovery. And I think at 217 some odd episodes at this point, I've shared many of them with you. What it comes down to is that people have to want to make the change for themselves. No matter how much information you can present to them, if they are not willing to commit to the process of changing, then it's, I'm not going to say wasted words because we're planting seeds and we're watering them, looking forward to the, to the bounty down the road, but certainly it will feel to you or to me like they're wasted words when you want to help the person so much and you can give them all of the tips and the tricks and the hacks and you can talk to them and you can hear what they're saying and you can have conversations and still the desire to change isn't really there. And for so many of you all, you have been working your way through your own program and watching other people close to you still in that maybe not even pre-contemplation stage, or right? Would they be, yeah, would they be in the pre-contemplation stage? They're not even in the contemplation stage yet. They're not even in the planning stage, let alone the action stage. Like they might still be thinking, man, nothing's wrong here. And when that occurs, 
I cannot help but just encourage all of us to just realize that we can support and we can encourage and we can do all the things that can show the person that we're willing to be there for them in their time of need. But at some point, it's on them. And one of the things that I can't help but recognize, especially around major holidays, is how many people seem to rely upon alcohol and drugs to give them this feeling that they're having fun, that they're enjoying themselves. Perhaps they think they are. I mean, I certainly believed I was. You throw enough acid and ecstasy at me, I can guarantee you. I'm not going to sit here and bullshit you. I was having one hell of a time back in those days. When it was just alcohol and the cocaine, it was really just me trying to get back to a place that was once amazing, that even when I thought I achieved it in a particular night, it still wasn't what I wanted it to be. And at some point, everybody in their addiction journey finds that it no longer really gives them that effect that they were enjoying before. It just sort of placates their mind and their body enough for the day, enough for the night. And so as I discuss this and I think about this, as you know, I went to the Indiana for a Grateful Dead show, and certainly there were a ton of people and a ton of things there, and I'm completely sober. In fact, I actually met somebody who just randomly was also in sobriety and recovery, and we both had a, an amazing conversation with each other, and we just marveled at this idea that we could be at a Grateful Dead show and sober around all of these drugs and all of this alcohol and be having the time of our lives. And what was so crazy about this random meeting with this person was that I saw a a sentence on the back of his shirt. The sentence was, um, and the breeze stopped, I think it was, and the breeze stopped to listen. And I'm going to pull up the photo just because I can't believe I'm bringing up this story and I don't actually have the entire thing memorized to the point where I could actually be able to tell this story in full effect. The breeze would stop to listen in. That's what this guy had on his shirt. His name was Josh. He was a super cool, cool dude. And he, I saw this, and then I turned around in front of him because I was just going to take a picture of his shirt, no big deal, and just keep moving on. He happened to see my necklace, which has my six-year sobriety chip on it. And um, he started looking back, and I was like, oh, man, I just want to get this picture of this guy's shirt. I don't want to bother him and all that. And uh, no, it turns out I walked up, and he saw me. He's like, hey, man, I just saw your necklace, and he showed me his coin. Uh, his chip of sobriety, and it turned into this whole conversation. It was absolutely fantastic. That was a little sidebar. Uh, shout out to Josh, dude. It was super dope to meet you. He even gave me this really cool chip with a like a camel on it, and I don't remember the saying, but it was absolutely fantastic, and I have it on my desk, and it's just marvelous. And going to a Grateful Dead show and being around all of that and watching everybody around me, you know, consistently going down to get more drinks uh, or the random friend on mushrooms who would just disappear and not come back for like an hour. I'm not saying that I was having more fun than them. And I'm not saying that they were having more or less fun than me, but I no longer have to seek that out in order to feel like I'm having fun, is absolutely a fantastic, a fantastic sensation. And for those of you who have recently gone to concerts, or you are, you know, coming out of a 4th of July celebration from today, and there's plenty of holidays coming, there are going to be opportunities for 
you to be around alcohol and drugs. And it's going to be very, very important that you are locked into your whys and what is making this whole journey mean something to you. And so I thought what a really great topic for today's would be was discussing the things that we were feeling at the beginning of sobriety and recovery and how those things can still be popping up years down the road. Because I've gotten some questions recently from people in the tribe or listeners to the show that have asked about their emotional moods and, and the balance that, they're, that they feel or don't feel. And they're like, well, how long is this going to last? And that's not an answer that I can give you. It's not an answer anyone can truly give you, even a doctor, to be able to say how long will it take for you to move through these mood swings because the amount of use and consumption and how long you've been doing it and the things that you have been putting into your system, they are all going to have a contributing factor to how long these substances remain affecting your mind and your body and your spirit. Right? We know about post-acute withdrawal syndrome. Right, and that some people in recovery from alcohol addiction, and in really any addiction, are going to have some level of pause, prolonged withdrawal symptoms that can occur for weeks. I mean, they can occur up to a year or more after stopping alcohol or any drug, and that's going to be the mood swings, the anxiety, the irritability, the tiredness, um, energy shifts, this low enthusiasm, uh, variable concentration rates, disturbed sleep. And these aren't just things that will show up at the beginning of your sobriety journey. These are things that can actually start to show up in other areas too. Because when we put ourselves in a position like society has, it's this where I'm going with this is that it could happen with your phone. You could literally have post-acute withdrawal symptoms from your phone if that thing were to go away because it's an addiction machine. So when we think we're moving our way through a lot of this mind and body healing, To think that it couldn't come back later on is a mistake. That's where we can find ourselves being caught up in this idea that maybe I can just go back and have one. Or maybe it's okay if I don't do something toward my recovery today, and then today becomes a week, and then a week becomes a month, and then it's sort of like we're on cruise control, and perhaps we've even found other things to numb ourselves. When I work with people in this industry and work on helping them get into sobriety. For the most part, I'm meeting them already at addiction recovery centers. I'm meeting them at sober living situations. I'm meeting them already in meetings that they're attending. But it doesn't mean that life can't somehow derail them. That even in my own family, even though I have all of this knowledge, that if somebody isn't willing to take this knowledge and actually do something with it, then it's like shouting into the wind. Yes, we're planting seeds and we're watering them, but it does not mean that we're getting through to them. And so when you're listening to this stuff, depending on how much you're concentrating on it, some of it might go right over your head or in one ear and out the other. And what I think is important for us to be monitoring within ourselves isn't the fact that we might go back to using alcohol or drugs again. Because for a lot of us, we think, no way, no way in hell. But we also know that relapse starts well before the actual consumption of the alcohol or drug. That there's the mind games that we start playing with ourselves. We start letting ourselves get hungry, angry, lonely, and tired far too often. And so let's discuss some of the things that have happened at the beginning of our sobriety journey and where they might actually show up later on down the road just to be mindful 
of how what we experience at the beginning is actually a lot of parts of the human condition of what we will just be experiencing in life. But because we have addiction as a history of ours, alcoholism, whatever drug you may have been addicted to, we can be more susceptible to these things coming back in our lives later on down the road and tripping us up. So we don't want to forget that these things are happening. We're not looking to be walking on eggshells with ourselves. We're not looking to be afraid to look over the edge. We're not sitting here just waiting for the other shoe to drop. But at the same time, we want to be extremely mindful of how the body and the mind are sending us signals that we might be getting close to overwhelm or overload or just too much and knowing when to pull back, when to take a break. At the beginning of my sobriety and recovery, I was, you know, barrel forward, no worries, let's charge through. You know, here over, especially in 2023, you know, moving into a new house and being a first-time homeowner and having, you know, uh, multiple people in the house, you know, it's, it is just, there's a lot. And I've noticed that I've had to take steps back, take mental health days, things that I wasn't doing two, three, four years ago that I'm much more aware of now. That when I find myself exhausted, I say, okay, I need to stop and slow down for a little bit. It's okay. If we're always running the engine on red, eventually it explodes. It's actually good to just downshift a little bit, allow the engine to cool off, and then it can get back up. But if we're just constantly running ourselves on red, we're going to implode ourselves. So as we begin to journey into this dry July, which is certainly something that I've heard tossed around on social media a lot, and perhaps you're well into your sobriety and recovery, or you're just starting off. But here's some of the things that I want us to all keep an eye on. And just be mindful that this fear of missing out on drinking or doing drugs around the holidays, it's just a facade. It's not real. It's not real. Our mind is just playing tricks on us. It's doing the mental gymnastics, seeking to bring us back to where we used to be, because that's what it's familiar with. That all the lies that we tell ourselves in order to go back to the way things were, they're not truths. It's just the mind. And it doesn't mean to be playing tricks on you. It doesn't mean to be doing that. But your dopamine has been sending you towards this craving for so long in order for you to have an action and a response that gets you to your reward. It's just programmed. It doesn't realize that the programming is bad. You realize that the programming is bad, and then you seek to break it. So let's look for some things that we might have happening inside of ourselves that we can be a little bit more mindful of, and just notice how they affected you at the beginning of your sobriety journey, and where they might be showing up wherever you're currently at in yours. The first one I want to discuss is neurotransmitter disruption. Now, alcohol affects the brain's neurotransmitters, which are chemicals that transmit signals between nerve cells. And right, you've got these synapses, you've got these neurotransmitters, you've got, you know, billions and billions and billions of these things in your brain. And we've talked about these before as super highways, right? These chemicals are the neurotransmitters that are sending the signals between your nerve cells, right? And the more that it's, it sends these signals and the more that these chemicals are utilized by the brain, the more apt it is to turn it into a, a program, a, to turn it into a habit. So when alcohol increases the effects of the inhibitory neurotransmitter GABA, which is not something I'm going to get into in this episode, but it can lead you to feelings of relaxation, but it can also slow down your brain activity. When we slow down the brain activity, that's what we are used to. 
Now, whenever I mentioned GABA earlier, it's called gamma amino but butric acid, gamma amino butric acid, and it slows down the brain. So when we have this inhibited brain activity, then we find ourselves all of a sudden sober. The brain is trying to get itself back to square one, back to the way that it used to be. And if we have been using for so long and for so many years, we may not even remember what quote unquote normal feels like. So when we have chronic drinking that has been suppressing this activity of this glutamate and increasing the activity of the GABA, right? And the glutamate is what excites the brain. So you've got alcohol suppressing the excitement part of the brain and also increasing this um, lack of brain activity. It's just slowing yourself down. When alcohol is removed, you have this overactivity of glutamate and a reduced activity of the GABA, causing this restlessness, this irritability, the anxiety, and the tremors. Right, we can all very vividly remember the tremors. So this neurotransmitter rebalancing that we're seeking at the beginning between the GABA and the glutamate is something that is going to occur for some time at the beginning stages. And I would be very mindful for us to notice where we might be, you know, abusing, it could be caffeine or it could be nicotine or it could be sugar. And what happens when we take those things out and they may not necessarily be messing around with the GABA and the glutamate, but they're going to be doing similar things to the brain. They might be dealing with different hormones and, and different things there, but you're going to feel restlessness. You're going to have some level of irritability. You're going to have that anxiety. You're going to have those tremors. Um, maybe you don't have the shakes like you used to, but you might just notice that your hand moves a little bit. Or you might find that you're shaking your foot a lot. You might find like that restless energy. Because we have begun to shift the brain and asked it to heal. So you have this neurotransmitter disruption, and then you have this neurotransmitter rebalancing, where the brain is putting a tremendous amount of effort to heal itself. There's going to be other times in your life where you're going to notice that your brain might bog down. Those are some good times to step back and ask yourself, is this one of those times where perhaps I'm overloaded? And you can generally notice the overloading uh, preceding the, is it preceding, proceeding? Anyways, you'll have a lack of sleep. You'll have sleep disruption. And when your sleep system gets thrown out of balance, then you'll absolutely start to notice that the brain is no longer functioning at peak performance. When our sleep doesn't allow us to get into the deep and into the REM stages, right, which is crucial for that deep, restful, restorative sleep, right, this disruptive sleep can lead to fatigue and it can lead to brain fog the next day. It can lead to these mood swings. And when we've taken alcohol and we've taken drugs, and this could be any kind of drug, this could be from Kratom, to Robocough, to cocaine, and, you know, ketamine. It can be any of them, right? We're going to have sleep disruption. And when we have this sleep disruption, all of a sudden, we're going to find ourselves irritable and anxiety-driven. And this is why it's extremely important that we're monitoring our sleep throughout the rest of our lives. Sleep is something that for some reason, especially in the Western Hemisphere, and you know, I have a lot of experience because I'm a you know, United States citizen, that and I say it that way because I have listeners in over 125 countries, that we tend to drive ourselves very hard. If it means we need to work more, then that just means that we'll sleep less. But sleep disruption and messing with your circadian rhythm can actually cause you to, to feel into that um, 
tired part of halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. The tired part could lead you to start feeling angry. Uh, you can mess with your food schedule. Next thing you know, you're hungry. Right? Next thing you know, you start to isolate, and here comes the, the lonely part. Now you're dealing with all of the halt at the same time. So I just want us to be very mindful when we start to notice that our sleep schedule gets thrown off. Also be aware of dehydration and nutrient deficiencies. Right? Dehydration, because alcohol is a diuretic, Right, it leads to increased urination and potential dehydration, and it can cause a range of systems symptoms from the fatigue and the confusion and the difficulty focusing. And are you starting to notice a pattern here that between the neurotransmitter disruption and rebalancing and the sleep disruption and the dehydration and the nutrient deficiencies, so many of these, all of these are leading you to fatigue, confusion, and difficulty focusing which is going to lead you to some level of irritability. And then you're going to have the anxiety come in because you're feeling irritable. And ultimately, this is the stuff that we're seeking to rebalance. When you get into the beginning stages of quitting alcohol and drugs, right, you've damaged your brain. You've damaged your brain. Now, is it so severe that you've lost cognitive functions or you have neurological problems? I don't know. More than likely, at least people that I've met, there is a difference that they can noticeably tell about themselves from pre-alcohol and drugs to post-alcohol and drugs. But does that mean that we've damaged our brain so severely that we're actually left you know, with less than of a brain? I don't necessarily think it's it's a demand by the alcohol and drug addiction. I don't think it's going to be an immediate, like, yep, totally messed up my brain forever. It's not necessarily going to be a byproduct of it, but it's definitely something that we have done. We have damaged our brains and we need the brain to have an opportunity to heal itself. When we have these alcohol withdrawals, depending on how long and and how often we drank, again, we are going to go through that post-acute issue. And next thing you know, we're dealing with this whole, how am I going to get myself back to square one, going through post-acute withdrawal syndrome, which again can last months and years even with the mood swings and the anxiety and the low enthusiasm. And you go all the way back up to what we've been talking about this whole episode, right? Where we now all of a sudden we're dealing with the brain damage and the nutrient deficiencies, the dehydration, the sleep disruption, sleep disruption. I'm super excited about this episode. Um, the neurotransmitter disruption and the rebalancing. We've got all of this stuff going on, right? We've also got our opioid receptor activation, depending on if we were doing any kind of opioids. And so next thing you know, we've got the stimulant effects and the sedative effects of the alcohol and the drugs that we were doing, right? Some of them were, you know, would stimulate us. Next thing you know, we have tons of energy and we're very social and we're very alert. And then we take the alcohol and drugs away. And now all of a sudden we feel more sluggish. Or we may have been having the sedative effects of the alcohol and drugs, where we were searching out the calmness, the relaxation, relaxation, and the lethargy. We're all coming with it. Next thing you know, we take away the alcohol and the drugs, and now maybe we're even more stimulated, where we have increased energy, and we are more social, and we have more alertness. It can go both ways. The addiction and the withdrawal, that is what we're paying attention to. We have these changes in our brain's neural pathways. When we stop using, the result, the withdrawal symptoms are going to result in so many different side effects. And again, we're, we're talking muscle aches, insomnia, irritability, aggression. I mean, it's so insane to think about all of the things 
that alcohol and drugs were affecting our cognitive function. Heavy, heavy, heavy alcohol and drug use is absolutely going to be messing with our cognitive function. So now, right, now if you're in the early stages, you're definitely experiencing these things right now. If you are no longer in the early stages of your sobriety journey, and maybe you've even got six months, a year, two years, four years, six years under your belt, you will want to be monitoring just the way that the brain is feeding you information about how you feel. Because when you first get sober, you are starting to shift your reward system. Like what, what dopamine is what leads you to craving. Dopamine is what got the cave person out of the cave to go find the meat or go find the berries. Hey, I'm hungry. I'm craving food. Dopamine is what gets the cave person up off their feet to leave the safety of the cave, to go out and brave the wilderness where they could get stomped on by a woolly mammoth or eaten up by a saber-toothed cat. The serotonin was your reward. When you bit into the berry, when you ate the meat, you got a rush of the serotonin, like, congratulations, you won. So when you stopped drinking, your dopamine production is way low. This is going to lead to depression, a lack of pleasure in activities that were once enjoyed. Now, further down the road, even I have noticed this. I have noticed this at six and a half years, where things that were very enjoyable year three or four, don't seem as enjoyable now. And I have to ask myself, what about myself has changed? Besides the fact that I've got two more years of sobriety and recovery, but what has really changed? Mm, all of a sudden, not hitting the gym as much as I used to. I'm not being as mindful about my diet. My sleep schedule is all out of whack. I'm allowing other people's emotions to affect my emotions, and then I'm spiraling down on that stuff. Next thing you know, I've got physical symptoms and I've got psychological symptoms. And I'm like, oh, okay, I am not paying as well of attention towards my addiction recovery as I was. It's super simple when you're going through the beginning stages of sobriety and recovery to notice, you know, the physical symptoms of withdrawal from the tremors and the heart rate and the high blood pressure and the sweating and, I mean, some severe cases, even seizures. And then there's the psychological symptoms, such as anxiety and restlessness, insomnia, the nightmares, even hallucinations in some of the most severe cases. Now, I'm not saying that further down the line that we're going to be running into these things as somebody who's in long-term sobriety, but we want to be mindful of the physical and the psychological symptoms that we are experiencing throughout the rest of our lives. You can be going through pause post-acute withdrawal syndrome, for a lot of different varying reasons, not just alcohol. Your brain is seeking to heal. It is a journey of healing. And I cannot stress enough for those of you out there who are in the beginning stages to please understand that your neurochemical imbalance, the dopamine and the serotonin and the neurotransmitters and everything being thrown off, it's part of the early stages of sobriety. The brain is working to restore these imbalances. So the mood swings, the anxiety, the depression, that stuff will not be as severe the more distance you get from your last drink or your last use. The withdrawal symptoms, both physical and psychological, and the discomfort that come from them, right? that stuff will dissipate. Anxiety, agitation, restlessness, these just seem to be things that we also have to deal with. It just has, quote-unquote, normal people. Even the take-it-or-leave-it drinkers have anxiety. They have agitation. They have restlessness. Their brain's just not trying to trigger them to go back to the alcohol and drugs. 
they have different things that they've used to cope. I'm not saying that those things are any better. If it's staring at their phone or if it's screaming at other people or if it's sugar or if it's nicotine, I mean, it could be whatever they've been using. All right, it's up to us as the individual to be noticing what coping mechanisms we're utilizing. All right, alcohol could have been filling that gap around the stress and the trauma and the negative emotions. And then when we remove it, now all of a sudden those emotions come to the surface. We're going to have emotional instability. Part of being a human is our emotions fluctuating and realizing that just because it's happening, it is not a signal to go back to the way things used to be. You have the early sobriety where you're seeking changes in your social dynamics and your daily routines and your own self-perception. But those three things are still things I am focused on even at six and a half years. My social dynamics, who's in my social circle, how am I getting my information, what things am I turning toward for answers, am I calling up people who have long trusted friends, or am I going out and meeting new people just to get a different varying degrees of uh, perspectives around what's going on. My own daily routines, monitoring those. Do I have my morning routine in check? Do I have my nighttime routine in check? Am I hitting the gym three to five times a week? Am I monitoring whenever I'm eating? And then, of course, my self-perception, which as humans will fluctuate wildly no matter what we're on, sober or on drugs and alcohol. Our self-perception is something that we want to be monitoring. How are we talking to ourselves? How are we talking to ourselves about the things that we do or the things that we don't do? And as we begin to notice our social dynamics and our daily routines and our self-perception shifting and changing, because it's new, we might feel confused. We might feel frustrated. We might feel overwhelmed. And that's okay. Because when you feel confused, when you feel frustrated, when you feel overwhelmed, you're breaking through to a new you. Something is changing inside of you. Yes, it is potential to have emotional stress and turbulence in your life when you're going through these things. But over time, as the brain heals and adjusts to sobriety, the emotional balance will improve. Furthermore, you'll be developing new, healthy coping strategies, perhaps even engaging in therapeutic interventions that you know are things you didn't even think about. I never thought about NLP. I never thought about tapping. I never thought about cognitive behavioral therapy. But all of these things have helped with my emotional stability. Will the process be difficult? Will you need professional help? These are all things that you will need to seek answers from within yourself. I am a firm believer that you should grow in a tremendous tribe around you, whether it's the From Sobriety Recovery tribe or whether it's going to meetings and having friends there, whether it's a therapist or a psychologist or a sponsor, all of these people make a difference. Make sure you're reaching out to medical professionals, healthcare professionals, but also people who have experience in this. Everybody's experience with alcohol and drugs is unique to themselves, just like everybody's experience with the withdrawal symptoms in the beginning stages will be unique to themselves. Just like what your 6th month or your 12th month or your 24th or your 36th or your 48th month, all of these will be unique to you. Will you be noticing shifts and changing for the foreseeable future, I'm six and a half years in and I'm still noticing just mind-boggling shifts in myself, clarity that my brain comes up with, new ways to get myself emotionally balanced when I feel triggered, 
new ways of communicating with people around me that I thought just weren't, we just weren't going to get through to one another. You know, when somebody starts getting angry or yelling in front of me, that I don't immediately snap into that same version of myself from years ago who would yell and get angry back. It doesn't stop. Growth and change doesn't stop. It's our awareness around it that may change. And when we stop being aware of the growth and the changes that we can have happening in our lives, that's where I think that we start to slip back into the way things used to be. Regardless of whether you're in the beginning stages or whether you're in the later stages, understanding that your neurotransmitters have been disrupted and they're seeking to rebalance, that you're going to want to get yourself mindful sleep and get yourself on some kind of schedule, that you're going to want to be drinking water and eating nutrient-rich foods, and understanding that the alcohol withdrawals and all of these negative emotions that you feel, they're not just going to go snap of the fingers and go away, but they're not going to be this strong down the road. You've had stimulants in your body or you've had sedatives in your body, and now it's going through withdrawals. Now it's shifting and changing. Your cognitive function will massively improve. My dad told me, he's like, Jesse, the first year, your physical body is going to go through so many changes. And year two, it's all about the emotional shifts because your body after the first year is going to be relatively rebalanced. And he was right. The emotional shifts and change still feel like I'm going through a lot of that stuff. So be mindful of some of the physical symptoms or the psychological symptoms you might be going through right now. Beginning stages, middle stages, or long-term recovery. You might notice that you have a shifting of your reward system and things that were once making you happy are no longer making you happy. It's up to you to ask yourself why that is. Maybe you've just gotten used to something. Is there a way to be more mindful and more aware of the things that you're doing when you're doing them so that you can find the beauty in the moment? Are your physical symptoms or your psychological symptoms really causing you to start to need more from yourself? When people say, what should I be doing at the beginning stages of my alcohol um, sobriety journey or drug addiction journey? First thing that comes out of my mouth is, what are you doing to physically get your body up and moving? Because sitting there sedentary isn't going to help the body adjust to the shifts and changes. It's going to leave you in your mind. And when your mind gets moving, it will find a way to convince yourself that the only way out of what you're feeling is to go back to using. The brain is seeking to heal. The body is seeking to heal. Do your best to give it the resources it needs in order to achieve that. Certainly after 217, 218 episodes, I've given you a lot to work with. Bottom line, it's going to come down, like I've realized with this member of my extended family, that I cannot make somebody change. I cannot make somebody listen to this show, and I certainly cannot make somebody care about themselves. They have to decide to do all that for themselves. They have to make those shifts. They have to make those changes. They have to make those decisions. Just like you made the decision, and certainly there could have been effects from your family that caused you to feel more driven to make these changes. But ultimately, how many of us used to hide in a closet, hide booze or drugs in our car, figure out a way to use and think that nobody around us knew 
knewing, that nobody around us knew. We had plenty of ways to continue using, right under the noses of those who loved us the most. It's going to be up to each individual to decide what's important for them and then start seeking to move toward that. I've given you a lot of information about what's going on inside the body and the mind just in this episode alone. And when we go through the rest of the summer, and there's going to be plenty of barbecues and plenty of holidays coming up, plenty of reasons to be around and maybe even be tempted to go back to drinking or using, just realize that we've played that story. We've seen that movie to the credits. If you haven't seen it to the credits enough, then see it some more. Sit there and actually notice how you would behave differently in that situation if you, if you were using. And then think about what happens when everybody else disperses and now you're back home alone or around other people and you've got these alcohol or drugs in you. What does that do to the rest of your life moving forward? It's not just going back to day one. That day one's day one. We've already discussed that. Then you're just at day 30 of 31. But it's what does it do to your mind and body? And then how do you have to work to get those shifts to go back to the way that they were? When you were sober, when you were putting yourself through your own recovery program. No matter how much I watch people using drugs at the dead or getting drunk on the 4th of July, I know that there is nothing there for me anymore. Anything that I possibly think that I might be able to experience by using alcohol or drugs again isn't real. It's a lie. I'm not going to say that my mind has not tried to venture down the craving path and been like, well, what, would, what would that be like? I mean, come on, what's the big deal? Come on, it's just one, one shot of vodka. It's just one tequila. It's just one beer. But one is too many and a thousand never enough. And I let the brain, you know, the brain wants to play its little reindeer games. Go for it, brain. But at the end, we play it through to the credits. We see it for what it truly is. It's, it's a lie. It was always a lie. I'd much rather look myself in the mirror and face my emotional imbalances and heal myself my way than try to use something to mask it and cover it up. And this holiday season and over the summer, while everybody else is having a blast, you can be standing right there next to them, having just as much fun, having your own version of fun. And the bonus, you'll remember it all the next day. All right, my friends, as always, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Every day is the best day of our lives because we wake up sober. Shout out to Sunshine Glow On. And if you are loving this show, please hit follow, subscribe, and let somebody else know about it. Let somebody else know that this information exists out there. It could just be the message they need to hear to help them get through another day. All right, my friends, I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. 